Hi, you are listening to episode 11 of Desi Geek Girls. I'm Preeti Chibber. And I'm Swapna Krishna, and we are recording on Saturday, August 12th. Saturday morning, August 12th. I know. <laughs> we usually do this in the evenings, like after work, but like this week we were just too burned out. So I'm like, oh, let's just do it Saturday morning. <laughs> and even still, I was like, oh my God. I know. We are um, <laughs> starting this at an hour and two minutes after we were supposed to. <laughs> Because we're both just like, I'm still in bed. Can we postpone? (laughs) I'm literally still in bed. (laughs) Yeah. Very professional setup here at Desi Geek Girls. Yes. Yes, we are. Um, So Um, let's start with some like really big, exciting news. Yeah. So I'm going to let you take this one. Uh, I'm actually let you take all of these (laughs) because... These are these are very pretty. They um, are. You very, have, I think they, you have more feelings on these than I do. I am very a lot excited. Of feelings. About them. Yes, so, you do. Riz Ahmed has joined the Venom movie, and it's it's like I I clearly like can't even get words out. I'm upset, not that he's joined it, but that Sony is like making me care. Okay, so no, this is uh, this is I. I am not. I will admit this is the first time I've actually paid attention to the Venom movie. So it's an alternate universe movie that has nothing to do with like Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, Spider-Man's not going to be in it, right? It's yeah, Spider-Man's not in it. But Tom Hardy is playing Venom, which is, of course, I want to watch Tom Hardy play Venom. Yeah, 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 like I didn't know that. One of my biggest issues with Spider, like Spider-Man Three when they finally write Eddie Brock into the film, Eddie Brock is like a jock and he's a big dude and they cast Topher Grace. <laughs> I, Eric Foreman. Like I like Topher Grace, but he was, Oh I my am, God. In my head, I just got Topher Grace and Toby Maguire confused. And I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, Wait, they cast Topher Grace and Topher but Grace. But he's also, no. <laughs> I, I got mean, so confused. I didn't watch the third. I watched the first two Spider-Man movie, and the second one I disliked enough to where I just did not watch the third one. Uh, I don't. I don't mind the second one because I think Alfred Molina's really. Like, oh, we don't want to go down this route. Oh God. No. Uh, that's like a whole podcast in and of itself. Of I do agree Spider-Man with you that Alfred Molina was good, but yeah. I hated the MJ fake drama. I know that. Like, well, I hated the love triangle stuff. I know. And I didn't think Kirsten Dunst was a good MJ. No. She was not great. She was okay. We've had better. Yeah. At this point. We've had much better. We've had much better. Um, but Sony's making me care about this movie. Yeah. And we all know how I feel about Sony's Spider-Man movies, which is that they often miss the point. Yes. Um, but in casting Tom Hardy, who I think is at least, I think he's a good actor, and I think at least, like, physically-wise, he elicits the feeling you're supposed to get when you see Eddie Brock and now Riz Ahmed although I can't I can't even remember if I know who he's playing quite honestly um because I was just so excited that he would join the product like the project I'm now googling I know wait is it in crap is it in talks maybe Um, carnage I don't think it's it's not like they don't have a character yet but if he plays Carnage, that would be so interesting. Yeah, so it's it like I think it's still in talks, but it's it's yeah, it says early talks. Early talks. But, Whatever. If he ends up playing Carnage, I'm gonna lose my mind. 
Yeah. And then I'm going to have to see this movie. Oh my God. In that and, order. Yes. It's going to be crazy. Okay. Um, okay. News. I'm definitely letting you take the second one because, oh my God, you have so many feelings oh my God. about this. Okay. And- so, uh, Ava DuVernay is bringing one of my absolute favorite, 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 favorite sci-fi books of all time to television. Um, Octavia Butler, many, many years ago, wrote this book called Dawn, which is the first book in a trilogy called the Xenogenesis series. And it's incredible. You know, if you're not not read it and I am not really familiar with it. So tell me about this. You should see the look on her face. Oh my God. So we should actually like read this book for the Yeah, no, I would, I would absolutely. When the show is like further along in development. But basically, so if you're, for listeners who are not familiar with Octavia Butler, she is one of the like uh, most incredible sci-fi writers ever. She's this black woman who just, I'm like losing words because it's so good. Well, I, I feel know like she like was, jam. she is one of the, like really giants of the genre, but has only been getting like, she wasn't, there was a lot of niches of the genre that really appreciated her work, but because she was a black woman, she did not, she has not received the acclaim she should given how good she is. Right. She's like, sort of like, I mean, we know her and people know her and she absolutely is acclaimed by many people, but not as many people as should be. If that yeah. makes sense. Like she should be like up there with like Ursula again. Like yes. everyone should know her name and they exactly. don't. Exactly. So I read this book when I was, I read the series when I was like 14, I think. And I, I read it once every few years. And the first book um, is about, about this woman, Lilith uh, Iapo, who wakes up. The, the book opens and she wakes up in this room. She has no idea what's going on. The last thing she remembers is basically the end of the world. Like this, there's this horrible war that happens and there are nuclear bombs going off. And that's like the last thing she remembers. And she wakes up in this room and she's like, she has no idea how she got there, but she knows something's off. Um, and she keeps waking up in the room and she starts getting really frustrated and she knows she's being cap- being held captive. She's like yelling at the walls and no one ever responds And then one day, maybe like weeks or months after she's woken up, she wakes up and there's a figure sitting in a chair in the room. I just got chills. Chills. And and she kind of was like, it's one of those like come into the light moments, you know, like this figure is speaking with her and it's bipedal, like, you know, two arms, two legs, vaguely the shape of human. Um... But as it comes into the light, it is so alien that you can't even fathom it. Like, it happens to have this sort of basic formation of what a human is shaped, but then it's covered by these small tentacles, and there, it's, 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 and it, it's an it. It is, so the gender, this book is like, it delves into things that we're talking about now in a way that it was so early for the masses to be talking about and it's part of the reason I read I read some thing about it that they hoped that the character was treated differently in terms of that wasn't an it but maybe a they or some other pronoun yes it it prefers the pronoun it in the book I should say um which is why I'm referring to it that way but 
you know, I read this book at a really formative age and it shaped my ability to have these conversations much and it not accept is not the right word, but there's no fear. Like there's no fear. There's no like uncomfortableness because there are books like this that exist where gender was discussed as not a binary construct, you know, this, so this, I'm, I'm getting off. I'm like, I can't. Well, no, I think it is. I think it's, I think it's absolutely important. And I think it is, it's, it's especially for people who don't live in places where, um, like people, um, are comfortable being out. Yes. At and, a younger age. Um, it is, it's important if you don't read about them, then you, that it will never be normalized. Exactly. And you know, it is like, it's, it's 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 so important to have stories and it's why it's so important to have diverse stories so important and it's it's frustrating because it is like in the book it's in now it's speaking in general the plot is about aliens but the whole thing is that this alien group called the owen kali they do have male female and then they have this third gender um and what they do and what lilith finds out that they do is that Oh, I don't know if I want to spoil this. Oh, don't spoil it. Okay, I'm not going to spoil it because you find out in the text. And we'll, oh, that's and the worst. I'm the worst. I'm so sorry to be we'll, um, listening. We'll have a discussion of this when the show, yes. around the first episode of the show, I'll read the books and then we can, we'll talk about them. And then we can them. talk about it. But basically, so Lilith like wake, wakes up to find Nikonj, who is the alien in her room, and there was a war on Earth. Earth was basically destroyed and these aliens picked up any sort like survivors they could and put them in this stasis and um are now they've found a world to put them on and the humans are placed into this like training facility essentially all strangers all different um races genders ages you know all of that and asked to survive on what, you know, the land will be like, but they're not given all the information and then factions happen. And of course, all these like socio societal, you know, differences come into play. And um, it's just fascinating. It's so good. And then of course, Sounds really good. the trilogy goes on and my favorite one is the third book, um, but I can't tell you what it is because I don't want to give away what happens in the first book. But please read it. It's yes. so good. And, it's and if just, you want to read it with us, we will read and discuss. We will read and discuss in, in you know, like closer to maybe probably. like the episode before the premiere date yeah, of the show or something like, like that. that. Oh, it's so good. And I'm so excited that it's Ava DuVernay because Lilith is black. Lilith is a woman of color and also one of the first like genre books I read that focused a main character as a woman of color, um, which is really important as a you know, I'm obviously I'm like an Indian woman, but yeah. I've talked about. And this if it before, tells you like, about you know, Octavia Butler, I did not. I had never heard of her till probably six or seven years ago, and I was pretty well versed in sci-fi mm-hmm. as a kid. Yeah, so this like that's like an accident. I feel like, like I basically, but most of the sci-fi I was exposed to, like I was assigned stuff in school and then kind of built built off of that. And that's how I found stuff. And growing up in, you know, Oklahoma, 
I mean, I mean, you yeah, can, just, it's, you can just extrapolate not, from there. <laughs> whether or not she, like, I grew up in Florida, and so I would, I could, like, I found her because I would just wander through the sci-fi fantasy section, like a really cool kid, um, trying to find new books to read, and I just happened to find this book and loved it so deeply. Um, but the fact that it's Ava DuVernay bringing it to screen, like, I'm just so excited to see because it does matter. It matters when the person bringing it to screen has an authentic, like, love and connection and, you know, immediate sort of not complete, not saying it's like a complete understanding necessarily, but there are, you know, they have an understanding of the life lived and you see it when you watch the thing. You know, well, how many times do you watch something and you're like, oh, there were no women in the room when this was written? Yeah, and it's also just um, she is going to read it through not the same lens, of course, but she is going to have interpret it through similar lenses that you did. Right. So you know the things that you loved and appreciated about it, especially being a woman of color, she also does. Right. Oh, and so it's going to be a good, yeah, I'm excited. I'm so I think excited. And they have the technology to do it. And it'll be interesting because the book was written so long ago. It will be interesting to see how they update it in terms of conversation. Cause I agree that maybe Nikon should be they and, you know, things like that, that, that was, you know, it's earlier than the mainstream conversation. So oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. Do we know what, what network it's being developed for? I don't know that. I'm not sure. I just got really okay. excited about the two names, like seeing Ava DuVernay and Octavia Butler's names in the same headline. I was like, Whoa! Um, okay, so next piece of news. Okay. Uh, we've seen the first looks of Josh Brolin as Cable and Zazie Beetz as Domino in the in the sequel to Deadpool, and they both look really badass. They look, yeah, they look excellent. Like, they look excellent. I was a little irritated when Josh Brolin got cast because I'm like, you guys can't find someone else. I know. Like, he's already um, freaking, what's his name? Thanos. Thanos. He's already playing Thanos. Um, although, oh, we didn't put this in the notes, but did you watch the leak of the Infinity Wars trailer? The one, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Because we can maybe discuss that briefly. Um, because I'm really excited. Oh, it's been a while. I, Is yeah. that the one that came out, like, at D23, right? The, uh, no, Comic-Con. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah I did yeah, watch yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but so Josh, I know. <laughs> I don't know that I remember enough to talk about it, but um, uh, but Josh Brolin looks really freaking cool as Cable. I am. I have mixed feelings on the Deadpool movie. I like, as probably an unpopular opinion, but I like Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool better than I liked the experience of actually watching the movie. Does that's that make fair. sense? No, that's fair. Like, yes. I love I love how committed he is to the character, and I love how good he is at playing him. I just, like, I think also I waited until the movie had come out, and I, like, rented it, and I was just like, oh, this is fun, but I don't see what the, like, I don't think it's, like, like the, the word-of-mouth reviews of it were just overwhelming. Yeah, no, that's fair. Maybe the expecta- my expectations were too high. So I'm excited about this movie, but I'm probably not going to see it in theater. And- <laughs> I, I loved it. I love the Deadpool movie. I lo- I really like. I liked. 
I like Deadpool. Though. I read a lot of Deadpool, so I was See, really I excited to I see I don't it. read. I don't think I have read any Deadpool before. Ah, yes. So that might be the problem. Yes. <laughs> it was very on point of what you read in the comics. Um, and that's what I heard. And I was just like, but not, not having read them and not having that love for the character, I don't think it was. But that being said, I do think it was also one of the more accessible superhero movies in ter- for adults who, you know. Yeah. Who don't read comics because it is just a little more, you know, the breaking of the fourth wall and the, it is just a little more um, zany. Yeah, I agree. But I am very excited about Zazie Beats. You know, they cast, we always ask, like, you don't have to, you can race bend these characters. Like, it's okay when we're pushing for equity. And so casting Zazie Beats as Domino, I think, is yeah. pretty inspired. Yeah. Like, they yeah. didn't. It was unexpected. It was like, but I am going to support the hell out of this. Yeah. Because I know people are mad about it. Of course, people are mad about it. Well, and I think just the fact that they didn't trot it out for cookies. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, it's just, this is, this is what we did. Like, okay, like, here you go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, look at what we did. We're so amazing. And we should be acclaimed for this quote unquote brave choice. Like there was none of that, which I appreciate. I agree. It was just like, this is the best person. Yeah. So we cast her. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk. Oh, do you want to talk about that Avengers trailer? Oh, very, very quickly. Um, I won. I don't understand why they won't just I know I agree. on the internet so we can see it properly because everyone that was not watched, a great experience right everyone watched that garbage like leak the like bless whoever put that online um just put it on YouTube yeah. I don't understand what the point of it is unless they have some big like partnership deal for an exclusive reveal or something which is why wouldn't you do that right after yeah like why so would you good. wait like that like seems months. so silly, like, but whatever. Like, yeah. Um, just two things. Bearded cap, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Into it, pretty excited. Um, and it seems like we're gonna get Spidey sense. Yeah. Like there's that scene where um, Tom Holland is on the bus, and you see the like hair on his arm go up. And a yeah. lot of people are reading that as, like, where they're going to introduce Spidey Sense, which was not in Homecoming. Well, I, and I also, I, there's a lot of things that, I mean, it just made me really excited. Like, I, I don't know that, I love these ensemble movies. Like, I really do love, like, when they bring all these characters together. Um, and so I, I'm just really excited. Like, I do think it's going to be overwhelming because it's so many people. Yes. And so no one's going to get good screen time and it's probably going to be convoluted <laughs> because they have to sm- like well, cram so much stuff in there. It's also part one. So yeah. it's they're splitting the plot up. It's also weird because we haven't we got trailers for Thor um, as well. And did they show an extended Black Panther trailer? I didn't see it because I don't think yeah. they put it online again. Um, but they did put the new Thor trailer online. And so I also think they're thinking about timing because I did think it was weird that we were seeing trailers, trailer for Infinity War before Thor and Black Panther have even come out. Yeah. Because they have to mix a trailer then that can give you enough without telling you what happens in 
um, Ragnarok. Yeah. Because we know now, based off that Infinity trailer, which I guess spoilers right now, if you've not seen the Infinity trailer, um, so fast forward a little, is that Thor... We'll give you, we'll give you a timestamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so 20, 20 minutes, I think. Uh, Thor somehow ends up floating in space <laughs> and getting pulled into the Guardian spaceship. So whatever yeah. happens in Ragnarok, that's how Thor ends up. Yeah. So it's just, unless that happened, although I cannot imagine they would pull that into Black Panther. No. I mean, it, it could just be kind of mentioned. unexplained. And he mentions, like, in, like, one line once he gets on the ship, oh, I was doing X. And then, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, either way. Either way, it's interesting. And I guess I understand. I guess now I've answered my own question as to why they didn't put it online. But it's also part of the challenge of dealing with, like, it's the downside of dealing yeah. with this massive universe. Right. You can't it's, get ahead of yourself. You can't. And when, especially when you speed up the number of movies that are coming out. Because this year had Guardians 2, Spider-Man, and Thor. And then next year has um, uh, Black Panther, Infinity Wars. Is that it? I don't remember. Captain Marvel's 2019, right? Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Isn't that next year? Is that next year? So there's... They went from having two movies, like May, November a year, to three movies. Yeah. To, like, this year, May, July, November, and next year, February, May, sometime in the fall, probably. Yeah. Um, And that's a lot of story that you can't include into trailers in a connected universe for when future films are coming out. So this is... Also because if Infinity Wars... One comes out, and then Ant-Man comes out. That's storytelling-wise, that's weird. Because is it just going to be Ant-Man in the middle of the Infinity War? I have no idea. I'm looking up the release date of Ant-Man and the Wasp. July 6th, 2018. Yeah, so it comes out after, because I think Infinity War yeah, is like it, May. Yeah, because comes out May 4th, then July 6th. Is there something in November as well? Now I'm wondering. No, probably not. It must just be the three. And then... Why wouldn't they... That's strange. I mean, I get... I mean, whatever. (laughs) Release dates are release dates, right? We don't know. Whatever. Um, But that's... That's going to be interesting because, like, what is... uh, What is Ant-Man doing (laughs) during Infinity Wars that he can just go and have his own movie in the middle of it? Well, it's also possible they may just kind of explain it such that, um, like, it takes place, bef- even though it's being released after, it takes place before Infinity True, War. which would be annoying, quite yeah. honestly. But I can I can see them not wanting to give up that May date for Infinity War. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Huh. All right. That was okay, a anyway, that was a long discussion. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> for, um... <laughs> Um, okay, so Preeti, take it away Again, with our first Sorry, I've had, a, I've had a big couple of weeks, man. I know. Um, <laughs> so two things that have released recently. Um, my beloved Teen Wolf is back for its final season. And if I can't remember if I've talked about Teen Wolf on the show before because it's Teen Wolf has a weird release schedule where they go on these. It's like two-part seasons, but they go on these very, very long hiatuses. Um, and I think the last 
the first part of season six ended before we started doing the show uh, yes. back in like January. So Teen Wolf is a show on MTV and it's one that it's like it fills that hole of like campy, supernatural, um, monster of the week vibe shows for me that like Buffy and Supernatural and that I really love, except it's on MTV and not the CW. Um, and I know people still to this day, people are like, ugh, Teen Wolf, like that Michael J. Fox movie. And you're like, no, I mean, yes, but no, like basic <laughs> premise in that it is a teenage werewolf. That's it. Um, and the final season just started. And basically the premise is these like, it's, starts as these, you know, high school kids, one of whom, um, played by Tyler Posey, Scott McCall, turns into a werewolf. He gets bit by a werewolf in the first episode, and it's, like, it's it's so Buffy. It's, like, friends dealing with, like, the supernatural, and you've got, like, the various friends in the group are all, like, also supernatural things. Like, the town they live in is basically Sunnydale with the amount of, like, horrible, evil things that happen in it. (laughs) Um... I really love it. I highly recommend it to the point where, like, have I told the Teen Wolf convention story? Um, I don't think on the podcast. I don't think so. My friend and I went to a Teen Wolf convention in New Jersey. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever done. It was like, we were the only people there, two women who were not over the age of 17 who weren't there with their children. And I have zero regrets about it. Like just you, zero. You, you have an excellent picture as a I result. I do have an excellent picture with um, Tyler Posey, not Tyler Posey. That's not true. Tyler Hecklin, who is in the first few seasons of the show. You may be familiar with him as playing Clark Kent on Supergirl. So that was very oh, exciting. He's very oh, handsome. My face in that picture looks like my jaw is going to break. I'm smiling so hard. It does. Um, And I've I've heard this story from both your points of view. Um, (laughs) Like from Jen, who is the friend who went with her. And and it's funny because I feel like you and I, we do these nerdy things. Yes. I mean, relatively often. Like that was like, that was a new extreme because of the like, you know, you guys were the only ones there of a certain age. But she doesn't as much. Nope. (laughs) And so hearing her point of view of, like, going to this con and, like, explaining to her non-nerd friends, like, why she went went to a Teen Wolf (laughs) convention. Also, what was hilarious is that, like, I, you know, she may not do, like, the nerd stuff often, but we've both done the convention circuit in a big way because of work or whatever. Yeah. Um, So I was thinking it was going to be, like, a mini Comic-Con, like a Mocha Con or, like, you know, just a small convention. Uh Uh-uh. It was in, like, a hotel ballroom that had, I don't know, 150 seats set up, and you just sat in those seats and watched the stars come out and chat on stage and, like, do stuff. It was basically a show. And it's interesting to me that it was all for one show. Yeah, I'm wondering... Like, it was a T-Wolf convention. I know that Supernatural does this. Like, Supernatural has their cons, and now I'm wondering if this is what it's like. Where you literally just... I mean, probably. Probably, right? You just sit in a room and you watch the, like, stars come out and talk. Um, 
there's I mean, no that's real Star Trek conventions are kind of like, but Star Trek conventions have a con. They have a, lo- a huge con component. Like if all you're interested in is it was much Star Wars con- Star Trek conventions are much more like Celebration was, where right. you can just like um, Celebration was almost structured like a comic-con because you know they empty the room between you know like there was it was much more of a comic-con to me like a star trek convention you can just sit in the room for the most part and just like as long as you have the you bought the correct tickets and just like watch all the stars but the stars almost aren't the center of the show at a star trek convention it's like the vendors and the you know like the like sign like the signings and the like it's much more of a like show floor type experience right and that's what I was expecting there were like a few small tables of merch maybe like three or four but that's it and also at the same time in the same hotel there was a bar mitzvah going on so I went to a werewolf bar mitzvah nice (laughs) that is a real thing that I have done in my life now um, but yes, yeah, so Teen Wolf is on. I highly recommend it if you're into like these uh, campy supernatural shows and also very related, the new show on NBC called Midnight Texas. I don't see, I'm not sure if it's too much camp for me because I don't do well with a lot of camp. It's, yeah, I don't know. If you, uh, I don't know. Like, both Teen Wolf and I think Midnight Texas has the potential for this have very like underlying in the camp, in the camp of, and when I say camp for Teen Wolf, it's very much in the premise of mm-hmm. recognizing how silly it is that this show could exist in yeah. a town, you know, so small and with all these monsters um, and recognizing the absurdity of it and then playing into that absurdity a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. which I think Midnight Texas does much more, although we've only seen, there are only three three episodes out right now. Okay, right? well, tell us about Midnight Texas, because so, if people aren't familiar with it. So Midnight Texas is um, this new show on NBC, which is surprising because I don't know how well network TV does with um, genre. I don't know that they've quite figured yeah. out how to do it, so I'm going to be interested to see how they, like, honestly, I don't know how well they promoted this show because I... I had never heard of it before, like, like, there was this discussion in, like, fangirl Slack, um, um, this, this vertical, sci-fi wire vertical we both write for about this, and until, I think we had that discussion, I had never even heard of this show. I happened to see a clip about it in the back of a taxi on my way home from the airport. It's such a New York story. I know, and it's, like, usually I turn that screen off as soon as I get into the cab, but I saw the lit... The main actor is being played by Francois, or the main character is being played by Francois Arnaud, Arnaud, sorry, I'm mangling that name, uh, who's a French-Canadian actor who I know from the Borgia. He played Cesare Borgia. And I know him from Blindspot, and I don't remember his name in the show, but he plays Jane's, like, former fiancé weird situation. And he is very Very handsome. And with a very good set of hair. Um, But he plays a psychic who is running from something, you don't know what, and he sees, you see that he sees um, ghosts and spirits constantly. And he, his uh, dead grandmother tells him that he should go to Midnight Texas to protect himself. So he gets to Midnight Texas and you quickly find out that he is surrounded by fellow, like, kind of mythical beings. You have... A vampire, um, a witch, an uh, an angel, 
a, a gay angel, which I love, played by uh, Sex and the City's Jason Lewis, which I was like, is that Smith? It is Smith, and he still looks real good. Oh, good. Um, and so it's, right now it's very, there's like a were tiger, which I also really love. Um, the cast is pretty diverse. It's, the the graphics are wonderfully like, 2000 you know eight level cgi which i adore because it allows you to like and it's a little it's pretty scary like i don't like watching it at night i wait until i can watch it when the sun is up but i'm a scaredy cat Um, i am a scaredy cat too which is also because i've heard teen wolf is horror basically yes teen wolf gets very scary i should say that, and that's why i have not watched like that's not why I have not watched Teen Wolf, and I don't know that I'll watch Midnight Texas. I am a scaredy cat. Midnight Texas is not as scary as Teen Wolf yet. They might go that route. I don't know. But there are parts of it that are, like, scary. Um, you know, uh, I think his name is Manford is the main character's name. Um, Manfred, Manfred, Manfred. He plays Manfred Bernardo. Um and he, like, moves into this house in Midnight, Texas, and it's already, like, possessed and being haunted by some terrifying, like, demon. Uh, it's really scary. <laughs> I like it, though. You know, I'm really into it. But both shows, I rec- like, I recommend if you like a mix of, like, horror, like, actual scary horror, especially on the Teen Wolf side and um, camp. Like, and both have, like, diverse casts, although Teen Wolf has gotten less so as the show has gone on, which bums me out. Um, whether it's people moving away or them replacing characters or whatever. And Teen Wolf is actually pretty feminist, which is also awesome. Like, they're, it 100% passes the Bechdel test constantly. Like, the women are engaged and have agency and are strong and smart, um... They're both just really fun shows, and I'm really excited to see where Midnight Texas goes uh, now that it's started. That was a lot. Yeah, that's okay, though. Um, Okay, so should we move on to our next big topic? Yay, you you start this one. Okay, so, okay, so there is, okay, we, (laughs) how how to broach this topic. Okay, (laughs) there is a movie, there is a movie that's currently out that is written by a, um, by a, I guess, Pakistani-American man and his um, white partner. And I am not going to discuss the name of the movie or the name of the people involved because there we have issues. Basically, there are is- serious issues with this movie, which um, it's basically making all the headlines. I'm not being very subtle about what this movie is. I know. That's why I kind of feel like we should just mention. We should just say okay. it, right? So, okay. So it is The Big Sick, um, and it is Kumail Nanjani. Is, um, he stars in it as well. Okay. So the issue with this movie is I was really excited when I first heard this movie was coming out because I am in a mixed marriage. Like my husband's white and I, um, but first there's a couple of problems with that. First, it's not a problem with the movie in and of itself. It's a problem with the depiction of South Asian men on the screen, um, as written by themselves, which is like a season. had this problem and I think there's one I'm forgetting and it's just, pairing South Asian men with white women. It's telling stories that don't 
like it's like telling South Asian stories that have nothing to do with South, South Asian women, which is really frustrating. I mean, it's it's hard because like on the one hand, I'm very excited to see projects and films and TV and movies and or I said film, whatever, um, books, all of these things come out that depict South Asian men as desirable, as attractive, as um, actual potential like love interests, which is really because they've, they, you know, South Asians have so traditionally been shoved off to the side, right? Right. Like it's traditionally like um, Raj from the Big Bang Theory. Right. It's the nerdy sidekick. It's the like, you know, whatever. So that's really exciting. Unfortunately, what also seems to be happening is that the 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 way that story is being told over and over and over again is that they are desirable, and the the that desirable is validated only when they are desired by white women. And this right. is not saying that that is negative in terms of like having a brown man with a white woman. Like that depiction in and of itself is not a negative thing. Like. Swapna is in a mixed marriage. Mixed marriages exist and they are great. And and I'd like to see more of them. But right. I also, like, the problem is this is bringing, and Preet and I have talked about this a lot. Um, the problem is right now I'm in a, I'm feeling conflicted about my identity as a woman in a mixed marriage and a South Asian woman because it's, those identities shouldn't have to be in conflict. But right now, the way the story is being told over and over they are right it's it's and it shouldn't be right it's it's putting the white love interest up against the potential south asian women as love interests that's frustrating right um because why aren't south asian women allowed to be shown as equally desirable or even just if it's um women of color I mean, we're obviously we're both South Asian women, and so we're focusing on our representation in these stories. But by and large, when you have love interests, or I mean, um, stories, narratives being told right now about biracial relationships, it's white and non-white. It's very rarely two people of color who just happen to be from different um, right. ethnic backgrounds or racial backgrounds or what have you, and so we're we were a little frustrated to see the need to stamp down there's also in these stories there's a need to there there seems to be the stamping down of culture to yeah. normalize and to be accepted into quote mainstream culture which is frustrating because why do you have to show that you're not that muslim or you're not that indian or pakistani or whatever like so there's a couple of things in the big sick. Like, first of all, his family, her family is treated as quote unquote normal. And his family is treated as basically a caricature that's there for audience. It's laughs. very, it's very white gazy, right? It's very yeah. like assuming that the audience is not of the culture that you're from. Because I've heard from white people who are like, I love that movie. And every brown person I've talked to that is like, I got a sick feeling in my stomach every time they portrayed his family because it's just done for laughs and it's like, it's like, why would you? And um, anyway, so, and then there's some, there's a couple of disturbing scenes in it. For example, one where he literally burns all the photographs of the women, his parent, the South Asian women, his parents have tried to set him up with and like presents them as a offering to his white girlfriend, which it's, is just weird. It's just weird. And we're not, 
I am really, again, like very excited. People are going to see this Me movie too. and going and proving that movies with brown central characters can make money and can succeed. Like that's amazing. But I, I would like to start seeing more stories from our community that aren't tied to whiteness, that aren't that don't rely on centering whiteness in order to get made or in order to be told. And I don't think that that's, a, I think that's underestimating white audiences too. Like yes, I think, I, I think agree. the idea that you have to like have these kind of things underestimate, of course, like I, I don't think that that is necessary to get non-South Asian people to see these movies. Yeah. Like, and that's, but that's something that we're all still learning. And I say we, but like, industries that put out um, content to be consumed are still learning that you don't have to center that gaze in order for the thing to be successful. Um, Even though you see it, you know, you see it. I went and saw Girls Trip um, the other week and that was an amazing experience. And I can only imagine what it felt like as a black woman to see that movie because I've, I've not ever had that experience, but I, it was still incredible to me to see this movie that celebrated these women and allowed them to exist in their culture. And I'm sure there are, there are jokes and things that I didn't get or, you know, moments that went over my head and I didn't know it, but it didn't matter because it was such an enjoyable experience to see that movie that it was okay. You know, it didn't matter that it didn't represent me personally exactly, but again, and the number, the amount of money that movie has made proves that you don't need to center like the yeah. the white experience to have a movie be successful. Because um, it's like, it was not just that theater that I went to was not just, you know, black women in the theater. It was a huge array of people who came and saw this film. Yeah. Um, so with all that being said, because we have said multiple times, we're not going to, you know, we want to talk about things that make us happy. So with that in mind, we wanted to talk about a movie that doesn't, that, that tells an immigrant story and t- tells about, talks about these cultural differences without making the immigrant story the butt of the joke. Right. And that does it really well, which is my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. I love this movie. Let me talk to you about like, so how much I love this movie I have seen, before The Force Awakens, which I saw in theater five times, I had seen any movie, the most I'd ever seen a movie in theater was three times. I had seen Phantom Menace three times in theater, which let's, that, I mean, because I was really (laughs) trying to convince myself it wasn't that bad. Um, I'd seen all the Lord of the Rings movies three times in theater. Of course. And I've seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding three times in theater. Like that is, so if that tells you how much I love this movie and everyone I know from an immigrant community, or that's like, you know, first generation. And it doesn't matter what your background no, is, it they love matter. this movie. Because it's just so, it's it's such a positive portrayal of, like, and Nia Vardalos, who, like, wrote the movie and stars in it, she does such an incredible job. Like, yes, her family is, is she makes fun of, like, the big Greek family, absolutely. But she also pokes fun at the, like, it's equal opportunity. Yeah. There's nobody is the butt of the joke in this movie because we're making fun of everybody. And in a very loving way. Loving way. Like it's a recognition. I agree with you. We were talking about this on Twitter and the number of people 
who responded when we were talking about it saying like, oh my God, I love that movie. Oh my God, I remember going to see that movie and be- feeling the first time I felt seen. Um, yeah. We're laughing because my mom, who is on Twitter, responded to us talking about the film because this is, I very distinctly have a memory of going to see this movie with my family and my mom really loving it. Um, and so she responded to us talking about it saying, loved my big fat Greek wedding, hilarious, but poignant and touching, lovely yeah. evergreen film. But that's so funny because generally there is a divide between immigrant parents and first generation kids in terms of representation and what they expect from it and what they want to see from it. Um, it, not saying this is wholesale and everybody agrees, but often immigrant parents tend to be more accepting of a wider range of representations than maybe first gens are. First gens are a little more, um, they want more nuance sometimes. Yeah. I think, um, like, for example, my parents are thrilled when they see white people dressing up in Indian clothes yes. and whether, whereas, whereas our generation is more like, eh, that's appropriation. Let's not, let's not just wear a bindi for fun. Right. Whereas my parents, like my parents and our parents' generations tend to be, not all of them, but they tend to be like, yeah, wear a bindi, bring our culture here. Yes. That's fine. Yes. So like, it's, it's interesting because this was a film that really spoke to both. Yeah. Both points of view um and rewatching I mean I when I rewatched it the other night for this episode it was the first time I'd seen it in several years I think because it's one of those movies it's like that I put in the back of my head that if it's on tv I'll sit down and watch you know it's like stepmom or like when Harry met Sally or whatever it's one of those films for me so I haven't sat down and like deliberately watched it in several years but it was still so funny yeah it was it was really funny and I think one thing like I I think this is the first time I've seen it since I got married um and like it so there was a lot of like there because like a lot of this spoke to me like as like a person in like a mixed marriage where you know my family is Indian his family is you know white Protestant from North Carolina like they are his <laughs> I was texting crazy while I was watching this and like Ian's family is I they I do recognize some of my in-laws in his family like they are my in-laws are the nice genuinely just the nicest people but they are like the like kind of wide-eyed expression like blank expression of what is happening <laughs> I recognize that expression um like I recognize that expression in like when we got married, we did a big Indian wedding, like a Hindu wedding, and it was a lot of people, and there were, it was, and I recognize those expressions. And so, like, this, it meant a lot to me to watch it this time, and it was just so well done. I mean, so if you're not familiar, because maybe you didn't see this movie when it came out in, like, 2002, um, it is the story of Tula, for Tula, Portocalis, um, who is a first-generation-born Greek-American. And her awkwardness and not necessarily fitting in in the world. And then growing up and meeting a non-Greek man. And Mm -hmm. how that affects her family and affects her life. And and getting married and bringing in a person who is not of that culture into her 
into right. her family's space, but done in a way that recognized the kind of, you know, immigrant experience in America. Like the whole yeah. idea of them, like all of her cousins and all of her family were in the same space and having this like community of Greeks, you know, is so familiar in the sense and that, also- like, the way for us, because the way the religion is tied to their culture. Yes. Because it is that, and it is very much that way in Indian culture. Not every Indian is Hindu, but Hindu culture is in, like, to me, it is very, as a Hindu, it is very difficult to distinguish Hindu culture from Indian culture. For, yeah. From my Indian culture. Yeah. From so my, from my personal experience of Indian culture, it is very and I'm not, to I'm not them. trying to say that like Indian Muslims have a Hindu culture, or anything close to that. It's just my personal experience of Hindu culture has been, or Indian culture has been through the temple and through, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's also here where you are, that's how you, that's community spaces are temples yeah. and religious um, festivals and things like that. And, but like, you know, they're in Chicago, but I grew up in a teeny tiny town, but my parents moved there. My dad's doctor friends moved there. My mom's cousins moved there. And all of a sudden we had this like really big Indian population in this like super small town in West Virginia. Like I know I said I grew up in Florida. It's both. We moved. But a portion of my life was spent there. And it's this like you create community when you need it. And immigrants create the communities they need. Uh, And so her having this community and also, first gens often reject that community when they're trying to assimilate because it's easier to fit in than it is to stand out when you're young. Yeah. And it was just growing up. And I so sympathized with like Tula's life at college, like going to school and like fitting in with her little white bread sandwich versus um, like who she was away from school on the weekends. Like, I think most first gen kids can recognize that who you are at school is different than yeah. who you are at home or on the weekends with your Indian friends. Right. Cause you call or it like code, with your culture like friends. Code, code switching. switching. Yeah. So code switching is basically, um, changing your vocabulary or your addiction or the way you, the way you interact with people based yeah. on what part of their identity you identify with. Yeah. Which is always interesting. Um, and, you have to learn to do it. I think it's a survival tactic because, you know, when you would bring your smelly like ethnic food to school and got made fun of, you're like, well, fine, we're going to eat like white bread sandwiches. So nobody stares at you and like makes fun of you. Which thankfully my mother never did to me. She always made me my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. (sighs) My mom never sent me to school with smelly food. (laughs) Thank you, Uh, mom. Interesting. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I never had that experience. Like my mom, my parents are actually, I will also say my parents are for Indian people. They are very liberal. They always have been. Um, we traditionally, my family does not eat meat. We grew up eating not only meat, but beef, which is so weird for most Indian people. (laughs) And like, like even like now, like people and like, it's it's because you don't eat beef right no I don't eat beef yeah so like it is very very weird for people when people learn like not only and my parents are my parents keep vegetarian 
Um, but my, um, and it's very much code switching even for my parents, because like, for example, my dad is a, like, he was a CEO of his own business for a long time. He sold his business and now just does a lot of like consulting type work, um, just kind of in his retirement and he'll eat meat when he's like out at business dinners. Which is funny because there's this, um, oh, it's so silly. And I'm sorry, we're going to, we're going to try to catch ourselves when we say Indian and not Hindu. Yeah. Um, because it is. It's it Hindu. is, yeah, it is Hindu, and I don't want people to, th- I, I don't want to erase anyone's identity. It's just sometimes the casual way you speak. It, 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 it's we need slips. to be more. Yeah, yeah we so we're trying, we're going to catch ourselves. Um, there is this scene in uh, this Bollywood movie called Lagan. Uh, who knew that this is where this conversation would go? I know. But there's this scene in Lagan, which is a historical fiction movie that came out from India in 2001, um, where the British, it's about um, colonial India uh, and the small town that doesn't want to pay, that doesn't, not that they don't want to, but they literally cannot pay their taxes because there's been a drought. And so the king of that area is trying to speak to the British uh soldier, general, I don't really know, the commander, whatever, in charge to try to um, get them to waive the tax for that season or that year. And this British um, soldier is so cartoonishly evil. The movie is amazing. Um, but the British soldier. Pretty so, sure it was a, it was nominated for an. Oscar. It was nominated for an Oscar for best foreign film. Yeah. Um, but this British soldier, they're sitting at this table in his in his like villa in India, and the British Raj is asking for you know aid for these poor poor villagers, and he says, "Only if you eat this meat," and he like pushes this you know plate of meat towards him, and the, the Raj is like, "No, like." I can't do that. It goes against my religion. And he's like, eat the meat. And it's this, like, really horrible, disgusting scene. But it is the, like, necessity. Basically, I bring it up because it's the necessity of compromise of culture in order to be accepted by the masses. Mm -hmm. Which is what my Big Fat Greek Wedding shows is that that's how that works. I mean, the, the, when she gets accepted, it's because she's had the makeover. She's eating the sandwich. She's like, that's when she gets to sit down with this, this group of non-Greek people is when she tamps down her Greekness, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. But also I feel like she just, it's, it's not just the tamping down the Greekness. It's, it's conforming more to like the standards of, because, like, it's not like she was considered beautiful by Greek standards. No, 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 You no, know what no, I mean? I agree. Like, it's, I'm it's, not saying I agree with well. you. It's, like, conforming to societal standards of what mm-hmm. is acceptable. Right. It's but not that's, just... Uh, that's yeah. tied into culture and looks and all of it. Um, it's interesting. Because, like, it, it also shows that, like, she never... There's never a scene necessarily where she's, like, actually... It's amazing to be Greek. You know, that scene never yeah. happens of, like, her being like, why did I ever feel this way? Because that's right. not the reality. That's, that's not, not yeah, no. That's not what people do. It's people not. don't, I mean, some people do. But it's not necessarily the reality of every kid who grows up uncomfortable in their skin. You come to, you come to a place of acceptance. It's yes. never, like, it's about accepting that this is a part of me and this is important. 
Um, but it's like, you have to just make it work for yourself. And that works in different ways for different people. And you can see with, um, like Tula, it is just, it, it is her parents' happiness is more important to her than getting the, you know, than, than like doing things exactly the way she wanted yes. them done. Like in terms of like having a non, you know, because it doesn't seem like it's very important to her, uh, you know, after she gets engaged to have a wedding in the Greek Orthodox, big wedding in the Greek Orthodox church and to do all these Greek things. She wants to do things her own way, but she realizes that it's making her parents miserable because they had these hopes and expectations for her. Right. And, and that's a lot of actually what being a first generation is. It's compromising. It's understand. I mean, it's like, cause like I get so, I get it so often um, because I, um, being in a mixed marriage, I get so often like, why? And like, Ryan gets it. My husband gets it because he's been in our culture long enough. Mm -hmm. Like he gets it. But, like a lot of people are like, why? Like, you know, it's so difficult for you. Why don't you just do what you want? And I'm like, because that's not, it's not the way it works. Like you don't, and it's very hard to explain that pull between wanting to satisfy the expectations of your culture and, um, like wanting to like, for example, like when Ryan and I got married, my parents never had a problem with it. They have always loved him. Um, they never gave, like, they never had an issue with like him or me marrying outside the culture. I honestly don't think it was a shock for them. <laughs> um, I, I really, I think they expected it and they're just happy. I found like a, a nice guy who, you know, takes care they're of happy me. You're married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, actually they weren't, they thought I was too young because like I got married. Um, my, I just had my ninth wedding anniversary, like about a week ago. Um, I got married when I was 24 and my, like I was the first of all my friends to get married and my family thought I was, I also haven't had an older unmarried sister, which is a huge deal. <laughs> um, she's happily married now with two kids, but, um, yeah, anyway, so they thought I was too young, but, um, a big part of it was kind of the compromise. Like they thought I was too young, but the compromises, my mom got to basically plan my entire wedding and it was beautiful and I loved it. And like it was, but it, if I had, if I had, it had been up to me, it would have been smaller. It would have been, you know, right. It would have been different. And, but that's okay. Like it's, you kind of, it's a give and take process constantly. And I feel like you, they, they, she depicts that so well in the movie and she just, depicts that inner struggle, which is really hard to do. Yeah. And I don't think you can, you can really like, it, it shows that she wrote the movie and that she's starring in it because, and it's, it's so interesting too, because we have two movies here, the big sick and the Greek, my big, big fat Greek wedding. Both are ethnic stories, both tell stories about a culture, about marrying outside your culture. Mm -hmm. Both had writers that From start that culture, authentic writing that start in the movie. And yet these movies, and both had white, white, I believe, male. I think the director of Big Sick was a white male, was a white man. I don't remember, but I know he, the director is white. Um, both had white directors, and yet they turned out so differently. Well, I mean, this is, and this maybe I'm making assumptions, but I know traditionally often it is women who are the, like, um, keepers of tradition and keepers of culture who are, which I railed against. Um, but it's certainly true in my family where, uh, whenever there's some sort of holiday or something, my mom calls me, even though my brother is older than me. 
yeah, I get I get the call to make sure that everybody is doing the things that they are supposed to be doing. Um, and in South Asian families, you know, many plenty of South Asian men are deeply connected to their culture. Um, first gen born are deeply connected to their culture, are very into it. But oftentimes it is the women who are the ones who are assumed and uh, assumed to be holding on to that and to maintaining it. Um, so the and men- we can rail against it all we want. And these gender roles are so frustrating, but I fit into that gender role in my family. Yeah. Like with, with my husband, I only have a sister with, with my parents, but with my husband and me, like I manage relationships with his family. I'm the one who remembers like, I just, that's the role. That's the way like it is. We like in some ways, and it's very frustrating, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true like of our experience. Right. And so you have this, like men have, men often have an out and aren't necessarily held to the same standards in which women are in the way that we present, um, our cultures to the world. So you have this like ability to take a break from your religion or from your culture. Um, I don't think it's unfair to say that it, is often easier for men to do that than it is for women. I mean, in life in general. But so I do think that that's why, uh, and I think that Nia Vardalos also deliberately made sure that even though she was making fun of her family, her mother and father oh wow, yeah, get to have these amazing speeches, they get to have these amazing moments, of, and they get to show us that they're, multifaceted human people you know the the mother a lot like very 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 much so you know she has several speeches that you're just like this is what it's like to be a woman an immigrant woman um in a traditionally patriarchal family um I love I loved you know I think I said this when we were talking about it but like I love the line where she's like, the man may be the head of the family, but the woman is the neck. Yeah. Right? Because I saw my own mom do this all the time of like figuring out ways to get us what we wanted without having to go against what my dad said. Like it's not that you're like, just let them do it. It's you have to find a way to work around that assumption that that's the head of the family, right? The whole like women don't need to cut. <laughs> like she has enough learning. She's she's smart enough for a girl and I love when she's like, oh, so you think you're smarter than me. <laughs> See, and it's so funny because that was not the dynamic in my family at all. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom is the head of the family. Like, my dad, like, is, my dad's awesome. And he is, um, like, he is, like, the bread. He, he was always the breadwinner and all that. But he traveled so much when we were kids mm-hmm. that my mom's word was law because she was the one who, like, managed our day-to-day lives. Like, my mom was the one who like it was like but like I said my parents have a like I have found that my parents have a very like untraditional um they have a very untraditional relationship and like the way like we were I was raised more Amer with more American in a mere American way than I think a lot of my Indian friends were because there weren't there weren't those gender dynamics in my family like it was (laughs) never like there was never like that my dad is 
awesome. But also like, yeah, so it was, it was, so I found that really interesting because I can see that with a lot of my friends, families, but like, I never had that experience. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) So much. I remember when I was leaving, when I graduated high school and my, um, dad was like, what if you just went to this community school that's right here? Oh my here? God. And I was oh my like, God. no! <laughs> my parents would have, A, murdered me. I think my parents would have literally murdered me if I was just like, oh, I only want to go to community college. Um, and B, like the rule for me in going to college was I had to be a direct plane flight away. As long as there was a direct plane flight from the city, I was like, that was fine. Oh. Which was, <laughs> I feel like, a very... They, um, yeah, they, 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 and I think it was also a byproduct of having two daughters. Like there mm-hmm. was no son to, you know, it wasn't like, okay, you go away and we'll keep you at home. Like it's, you have two daughters. So what are you going to do? Yeah. And it wasn't like a serious, like you're not allowed to go to college. Mm-hmm. It was just a general, like, what if you just did this? And it would be fine dead. if you did this instead. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go away to college. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but there were very much like traditional gender values in my household growing up. Like my, you know, not to the extent where they're like, you can't go to school. Like yeah. absolutely 100% were like, you are going, you, they're like, you're going to be a doctor. Ha ha ha. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, Mine was, you're going to be an engineer. <laughs> How'd that work hilarious. out? Um, but there were all of these things that you had to come, that you had to battle and like, be able to discuss both in and out of the culture that you were raised in. So that was always interesting. And it was interesting to have to see what was it. So Tula, whenever she has to talk about the, her Greekness with Ian, she gets like stalled. And I also love how they present John Corbett in this movie as just kind of like clueless and loving it, you know? <laughs> like, like, all right, if that's, if that's what you want to do, like, okay. And also just like, he goes into like all of those very Greek moments that Tula is mortified by with just this like really like okay this is cool and that's why I love him so much because he reminds me so much of Ryan like the amount of Hindu shit Ryan has had to do he's (laughs) like why are they throwing things at me okay okay like it's just (laughs) and he has just done it with a smile like he's just like all right this is what we're doing now right and like it's like and it's so it is so like they portray him so well and the chemistry between him and Nia Verdalos is so so real so good even though her like real life husband is in this movie Mm mm-hmm much better relation much better chemistry with with (laughs) no they don't actually i don't think have any scenes interacting her and her actual ian gomez it's like once when uh he like pays her for the coffee and the breakfast or whatever at their restaurant um the extended family stuff is so good like i love how she and her sister fight where yeah. it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, the words don't matter just the minute her sister walks in. And it's like, why are you always like this? What are you doing? It's like, that was amazing. Yeah, because that is absolutely, like, yeah. All of it was just, because even there were no, there were no moments like, you know, the brother who wants to be an artist. And he keeps showing their dad the, like, menu that he does. At the end, he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to. I'm going to go to design school or art art school or whatever. Art school, yeah. But they never had, like, a big conversation about it, which I appreciated. Like, there was not that moment where she was like, you're really good at this. You should go do it. He just, because, which is another very, like, different way of looking at this. Like, it's not the norm in terms of, like, 
feelings and conversations. It's like, well, I saw you do this and I knew that I could do it too. Yeah. Which I really, really liked a lot of letting that be a subtle moment. Um, Cause it is a big thing in immigrant. Like I didn't like my sister, I have an older sister and she kind of fought all those battles. Right. So like when my turn came around, I just knew I, I knew I could go to prom because she'd gone to prom. I knew I could go to, you know, you're like, the younger sister. I'm the older sister. So like I, like, she had to fight all those battles, but There's then when that. my turn came around, like I knew I could do these things cause my sister had already done it. And oh there was God. no big discussion. Have you watched just... the Hassan Minaj special yet? I can't remember. No, no, there I have was, not. Oh my God, I need you to watch it. So we will discuss it on the show when Swepna has time to watch it because there is a part where he's talking about younger siblings and he's like, younger siblings are garbage. Yeah, because like, older we siblings do. He's like, we went to war for you. Yeah, it is true. My sister did very much and um, it is... But it's, there's never a, and like, you're so right. There's never like a big conversation where you just sit down and talk about, okay, I do. We don't talk about our feelings. Yeah, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. We like, uh uh-uh, that is not a thing. (laughs) But I also appreciate the way she interacts with her family in terms of like, we don't talk about our feelings, but we also, when we get pissed, we yell at each other. Oh, yes. Which is a thing that, for example, my husband's family does not do. And it has, it baffled me for a long time. Like, you know, we, we just, it, the interactions felt very authentic. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's so good. It's such and, a good movie. And again, like the, the humor is really good. It is. Like, just, because like, like they show, like she, she, she pokes fun at her own family and makes fun at her own family, but she also makes fun at Ian's family for being like boring. Right. And for like, but even they, like, they have, there's no nastiness or insidiousness. No, it's not at all. It's just a uh, deep, 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 like, ignorance. And it's just like, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm just going to sit here and try to put a smile on my face because I do not, like, and it is very much, but then by the end of it, they kind of loosen up and they're like, come on, Harry. Yeah, like, I love that. I liked that. And I liked the, the, I love the speech her dad gives at the end. Mm-hmm. When he's like bringing it about, and and again because it's been, you know, you laugh at this character and you laugh at his like, um, the Windex and the like that actor. Uh, oh my like, god! But when when John Corbett's like, oh, like Windex on it, I know oh I loved god. it. I loved it. But I loved his speech at the end because it let him, even though he has an accent and speaks English, um, not perfectly as a second language, but remarkably well because English is an incredibly difficult language to learn he makes a joke that works on a level in English that is great like it's a good joke you know when he's like one is apples one is oranges but both fruit you know and it's such a great moment to show that like you don't have to be a perfect speaker of English to get to have that speech in that moment You know, because that's a big deal. A lot of, like, immigrants feel very uncomfortable about their accents and how well they speak English and all of those things. But, like, yep. it was impressive as hell, you know? It is. And also the 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 John Corbett Windex thing, I just realized it while, when I mentioned it. It's also a signal that he respects yes. his father. Yes. You might think he's ridiculous for, like, being like you have, you know, you might think he's a little ridiculous. But there's also, like, a respect, like, even if, like, the things you do frustrate me, I respect the person you are. I respect 
you as the father of the woman I love. And I, I respect your traditions, even if like, I am so confused by them. You know what I mean? Like, it's very, like, and that's what I love about this movie. Like, everything is so subtle. And it shows that every time he asks, like, how do I say this? How do I say thank you? How do I say blah, blah, blah? It's him attempting to engage with the culture, which is really, it's like these small little moments to be like, this is, this is how you can engage, right? Um, Like, how, asking the question of how do I, I mean, granted, then her, like, jerk brothers and cousins are like, haha, we're going to trick you, but is also a thing that happens. Oh, her cousin Joey Fatone. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, okay, so we should probably wrap this discussion up because we still have more stuff oh to God, talk about. Oh my God, we still have to talk I about know. Rick and Morty. Holy okay. crap. So anyways, this is a great, if you haven't seen this movie or you haven't seen it in a while, maybe rewatch it with like all what we talked about in mind. Um, and if you love the big sick, there is absolute, like don't, like I've had people be like, oh, but I love that movie. It was ironic. You can love, love it. it. You can love it. Just Kanan recognize Danny is hilarious. He is yes. a funny person. That just trailer looks funny. With it. Yeah, I want. I I want. I really wanted to see. I I, I will be. Um, like Preeti and I have not seen this. Not seen the Big Sick, and I probably won't at this point. But when that trailer looks really funny, I really wanted to. And the honestly, like the, again, like go see it. I'm not. I'm go see it. See it yeah. for yourself. Watch the movie. Support we just, South Asian. Support creators. South Asian creators. Like we. The only reason I'm abstaining is because I personally don't need to engage necessarily with that representation of. My, I think it'll hurt. I think it'll. I think hurt. it'll hurt. I and, think seeing that seeing his family as like a character, I think I think that'll hurt me, and but, I don't want to see. It. Again, go see it. Yes. If you want to. It doesn't make anyone a bad person for enjoying this film. Like, no. We all like stuff that's problematic. Yep. <laughs> and that's all. Just that's recognize okay. it. Um, okay, let's move on. So we have a Patreon discussion to have. Um, one of our Patreon, our $10 level Patreon subscribers asked us to discuss Rick and Morty. And so let's do that. And so, okay, I've never, I've heard a lot about Rick and Morty. I have never, I had never seen it before this. Same. And I think Preeti is in the same boat. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you are not familiar with Rick and Morty, it's a cartoon that is on Adult Swim and it features basically this kind of normal-ish family, what like family living in, I don't think just like a regular sub, like it's just a very generic family with the exception of, um, the grandfather, Rick, is kind of a mad scientist. Rick Sanchez, though. Rick, like, mad, like, yeah. like, like kind of mad, the mad scientist. Mad scientist who is, like, on a lot, a cocktail of many drugs and lots and of booze. Alcohol, yes. So he's basically this alcoholic, drug addict, scientist who drags his very young nephew, Morty, who's probably, I guess, guess like grandson. a grandson. Grandson, sorry. Um, grandson Morty, who's probably like fifth grade-ish. No, he's 14. He's 14? <laughs> I only know because there's a line where he's like, I'm 14, by the way. I know he's at 12, but I'm 14. Oh, yeah, there is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, they play him a lot younger. They play him pretty young. Yeah. Um, okay, so he's like, a, I guess, a, like in high school. like Ninth grade, um, right? Ninth, yeah, something. Eighth grade, ninth grade, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, takes him around, like, on all these like weird adventures into space and to like bodies and to and he has like a portal dimensions. gun and yeah go into alternate dimensions and that is the premise of the show and um what did 
It's from like Dan Harmon, who also is behind Community. Yeah. Which you love. I do. I, mean, I love Community. I thought Community was hilarious. Um, some of the funniest and most interesting writing uh, and acting that was on network TV while it was on. So, of course, it got canceled and moved to like Yahoo, I think. Um, and I also really love uh, Rick, not Rick, uh, Justin Roiland, who does the voice for Rick and Morty. Oh, um, I didn't realize it was the same person. Yeah, same guy. And he... Because I, lo- I was like, I love both their voice actors, so same guy. Okay, that makes same sense. Same guy. Because he does the voice for my favorite Adventure Time character, the Earl of Lemongrab. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I thought the voice acting generally in this show was really good. Really good. Yeah, because, like, you've got um, Chris... What's his face? I'm so bad at this. Chris Parnell um, from SNL, who voices Jerry. Sarah Chalk and- from Scrubs. Um, Carrie Walgren, I think, plays multiple female characters. Yeah, so it's, um, it's got a great cast. Yeah. Um, and it it was, it's, the style really reminded me of uh, kind of some early 90s, like Ren and Stimpy and Cat yeah. Dog. And in that mix of, like, cartoony and, like, really gruesome. Yeah, like the gross out, like the gross out cartoons. Ren and Stimpy is a really good analog, I think. Yeah. Um, and which is not, I will be honest, that is not my preferred entertainment. Like, I'm not a fan of gross out humor because I am a wuss. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I did, I did enjoy what I saw. We watched both watched the first four episodes. Um, I did enjoy it, and I really see, I can really see why people like it. Like it. Like, and also, like, the first four, it's not enough to really get a sense. Like, it takes episodes a while to find, shows, it can take shows some time to find their footing. Not that I'm saying this needs to find its footing at all, but just, like, it's hard to judge an entire, like, I think it's three seasons in now. Yeah. Show from just a few episodes. Um, But I did, I was, like, I was doing a little bit of Google research, and um, all of Adult Swim has gotten a lot of criticism for basically having none of the Adult Swim shows, as far as I know, have any women on the writing no. set. It is all men, but Rick and Morty added three women for the Which is season. amazing. Which is, it's not just like one woman. And like one of the um, women they added, I don't remember what specific, she's some sort of um, Asian. And um, she was saying like, not only am I usually the only woman in a on writer's room, but I'm also the only, usually only the person of color. And it's really hard to have to carry like, about those burdens. Like, yeah, and so she was like, this is amazing, which I'm, I, I am giving the show, because there was some stuff, like, Preeti and I noticed that was, it wasn't, it's sexist, it was kind of the way, quote-unquote, enlightened men would talk about sexist stuff without a woman in the room, like, yeah. Like, it's, it's like, it's not like you can tell that they are almost there, but like, they're making these jokes to show that they're there, but they're not quite yeah, it's like subverting tropes, but it's hard to subvert tropes when you're playing into the trope. So it's like, yeah, I get it, but it was just slightly to the left right. of where it needed to be. Right. Um, and you're just like, oh, they are, they, they, they understand the concepts, but there are no women in that writing room. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so let's talk about like the episode. So yeah. in the pilot, yeah. The pilot immediately gives you basically exactly what the show is going to be, you know. Right. Rick is Wasteface, 
<laughs> like immediately. I, would, like, I literally have a note that says I would murder someone if they spilled alcohol on my bed. <laughs> like, and like the animation is so interesting. Like their eyes really freak me out because this, the pupils are not perfectly round. They're like these little scribbles. So they have like points to them and it's a little, it's very disconcerting. And then um, the constant, um, the, the, the vomit or the, like, spit oh, the, on like, Gordy's face or Rick's, Rick's face. face. He always has oh. this, like, drunken, like, you so can tell he's on the verge of, like, throwing up all the time because he's just, like, so, like, has so many drugs, so much drugs and alcohol in his system. And, like, yeah, it's kind of gross. <laughs> it's so disgusting. And, like, constantly burping and, like, ooh, you know, that, that thing. Um, but Rick, like, basically takes Morty to another dimension almost immediately. Uh... Because he wants to steal these, like, seeds from megatrees for stuff he wants to make. Because he's actually yeah. a really gifted scientist. Um, and you know, this this first episode just kind of establishes the dynamic of, like, you know, Rick and, like, like Rick and, like, and Morty. Like, Morty is a straight man to Rick's... I mean, Morty is the hot cheese, hot cheese, Rick. I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, Rick. Like it was the way, like it was. I yeah. love them. I love Justin Roiland so much. That voice will like make me cry. So funny. Like, um, just the way I really liked. With the caveat, the gross out humor is not my thing. The especially knowing it's the same person now, like the dynamic between the two of them is so good. Yeah, it's fascinating. Between the two characters, obviously, they're voiced by the same person. And but, like, like, the, <laughs> oh. like, Rick is the one that gets them into trouble, and Morty is the one who... And Morty is not, like, it's not like he's this capable, like, this capable, like, um, uh, like, whiz kid who is, like, genius. Like, this kid is pretty average. Yes. Well, no, what's interesting, I actually kind of appreciated this in that Again, this is one of those jokes where I'm like, I see what you're doing. Where Morty is really bad in school. Where the school is like, he's remedial. He doesn't get it. And Rick's like, no, he is incredibly intelligent. Like, look at these things he can do. In in so many words. Yeah. Um, which I really appreciated of being like, you don't you don't get to judge a kid if he's just not good at like the the like pre pre prescribed like notion of what good and smart is. Right. Like, you don't get to say this kid isn't smart just because he doesn't fit into your standard of what smart is. So that, right. I thought, I really liked that piece of it. Um, you, you can't just label him as remedial and then, like... Right. Like, but it's... So they are on a spaceship, and Rick has discovered that... Or um, Rick tells Morty that he has created a neutron bomb. Oh, right. This is the first... I forgot this was the first scene. Yeah. So you're like, oh, Rick is reckless. Yeah, and you don't know that they're that they're grand. At this point, you don't know that they're grandson and grandfather. I don't think because that that's not established right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> my notes, my notes are really stupid. Um, so yeah, so then they just it's kind of like adventure of the week. What we, weird adventure is? Yeah. Um, so Rick going to drive Morty on. And, you know, he takes, he, he, Rick cares about his grandson, clearly, but also is, like, not really concerned with pain or potential 
like he doesn't want him to die, but he doesn't really think through the consequences of his actions. Right. And I think he I think it would be safe to say he thinks he's he's one of those who's like, oh, oh, it's just character building. Right. Right. Like, not like even. oh, he almost no, no, got no. murdered. Oh, it's just character building. I genuinely don't think he cares necessarily about what Morty is getting out of these other than the fact that like maybe as an aside in his brain, he's like, I agree, like, oh, character building or he's learning things. But really, the motivation is, I need this thing, and yeah. this is a great way for me to get it. Yeah. Like, when he needs the Megatree seeds, he makes Morty put them up his butt. And it's, ugh. This is not yeah. my kind of humor. Like, I no. don't necessarily think that's funny. But what is funny to me is later, when they're shooting at these aliens, and Morty is doing his, like, ah, oh, jeez, Rick, I don't know. Like, I never shot so is it hurt. They're alive. And Rick's like, they're ro- they're not. What does he say? He's something like, they're robots, right? And he's like, oh, and then he shoots one of them in the leg. And immediately they're like, oh, no, John, what are you going to do about your kids? <laughs> that is funny to me. Like, yeah. that, like, switch, that bait and switch, because then... Rick's like, well, I meant they were robots and that they don't have a mind of their own or whatever the line is. Right. And then later, and then, um, in a later episode, it's in the third episode where like, there's the nightmare. That's the one where they like deal with the nightmares, right? Yeah. And then like, they follow, they follow the nightmare and like, he's at home and like, they just, they, they, no, that's the second episode. Okay. They like subvert what you're they just subvert your expectations yeah which I really appreciated and it's in that like in like it's very weird it's a very highbrow lowbrow show I guess you could call it in terms of like it does go for like the gross out humor but there are also these moments of just comedic like you're just like oh that's really funny and the storytelling is really interesting because like that nightmare episode these these episodes are 21 minutes and they are jam-packed yeah. They still managed to have A and B plots um, because that episode was really interesting to me because it was the nightmare episode where Rick needs to make sure Marty doesn't fail out of school so he can keep taking Morty on his thing, uh, on his adventures. So they decide to incept yeah. Morty's math teacher. Um, but that could be a whole episode. But also there is this like potential takeover by dogs after the um Morty's dog snuffles like pees on the ground and they make Rick give them like this little like thing to make him smarter but then he becomes too smart and they start building more dog robot costumes so dogs can be like the dominant species on earth or whatever and both of these stories are happening at the same time and interlocking and then at the end, come together in a way that I really didn't expect. Yeah. And it was just really smart and tight writing, which That's I appreciated. The, the the snuffle, the name of the dog is Snuffles. And yeah. like, it is, that storyline was, this episode was probably my favorite of, of the ones we watched. Just because I thought the the, the storylines were really good. And like, I laughed so, like the, the dog storyline made me laugh so hard. Right. That was really good. And I liked the idea that, like, still there was, like, love and there's still, like, it yes. was, it got saved because of the love of this dog and this kid being nice to the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, and then, like, they say, like, at one point you can't give an animal sentience and then take it away. That's cruel. Right. Like, and that's just, it, it, it just throws these, like, pretty profound moments. Yeah. Just in the course of, like, this gross out humor. And, yeah. like, it's. 
And then also there's a running thread through the series where like uh, uh, Morty's parents are kind of having problems. Mm-hmm. And there's a running thread about um, like, so it is, it is a gross out humor show and it, it, but it is also, it is also, I do really understand why people love this show yeah. and I imagine it just gets better from I here. I agree. I feel like the writing probably gets better and the like, um, kind of weird moments that were a little too uncomfortable for me get better or yeah. different Hopefully. at least. Um, Oh, then the next episode is the Anatomy Park, where in at Christmas, um, the two storylines that are happening is that Jerry wants to have a really good Christmas with his family, and oh. his parents come, and they find out that his parents have basically decided to live life however they want, and so they have a new sex thing that they're doing with a new person in their lives. So there are three people in their in their couplehood now, or in their in their in their throuplehood, and. Um, meanwhile, Jerry has created an anatomy theme park inside of a hobo. Yeah. And Dana Carvey and John Oliver do voices. I knew that doctor. I was like, that's John Oliver. Yeah. Like hundred percent. Um, I thought this episode was fine. Yeah. Uh, it was, I watched it all and I was kind of like, okay, that was funny. It was not my favorite. Um, I did like the next episode much better. Yeah, I did too. Uh, because basically in Anatomy Park, Morty has to go in, Rick just puts Morty in, uh, and has to, like, figure out what's wrong while meeting up with this, like, amoeba doctor who helped Rick come up with the idea. And it's exactly what it sounds like, which is bananas, a banana sentence to say. Um, but the next episode I did really like, M. Night Shame Aliens. Yeah, like M. Night Shyamalan, yeah. Um... Where you find out that Rick and Morty have been placed inside of, um, uh, what's the Like word? a virtual reality. A virtual reality yeah. because these aliens want to get Rick's recipe for dark matter, but they accidentally bring Jerry into that too. Yes. And it's such like, they're in this weird glitchy video game and I loved how many times they showed like the glitches of like the- Jerry is, uh, Jerry is, um, is Morty's father. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Jerry is Morty's father. Um, and he's not very bright and he's like, kind of, uh, just kind of a sad sack sort of. Um, but he doesn't realize he's in a simulation and thinks that he's like really owning it at life. This did have a thing that I was like, uh, about, um, there were, and- I think every episode had a thing. It was also because Morty is a 14 year old boy, which this makes a lot more sense to me now knowing he's 14 and not like, you know in fifth grade he's like obsessed with like girls and breasts and stuff and there are just some uncomfortable scenes because you're like this is a kid and I understand that that's what teenage boys think about but like it's just it's uncomfortable to watch sometimes and I think that also they're they're making um comments on things like they're trying to comment on certain cultures, but they don't quite get there. Yeah. So they were like, in every episode, there was like a two minute scene that I was like, I don't like this and I'm uncomfortable watching it. Yeah. Um, but then there was a lot of really good, like the, the multiple levels of simulation and the like owning of Rick that happens by these like horrible aliens is really funny. And yeah. the like aliens being afraid of nudity and... Jerry thinking he's like winning at life and all of these things like it ends up being pretty funny 
and showing the familial relationships because like again Rick is aggressive and abrasive and garbage but he still weirdly cares about his family yeah so yeah I think that's a that's that's, that's our that's looking, yeah so that I mean a lot. Basically, if you haven't seen this show I and if you enjoy gross out humor I definitely recommend it. Like, no, you know, there are parts of it that are problematic. I think for me, I am not sure I will continue with it just because I am not a gross out humor fan, but I do understand why people love it. Yeah, I think it's something that if you, there are things that are triggering, I will say yes. that. Like, there's, there was a moment that happened in one of the episodes that I kind of was like, and I'm not a person who, like, generally speaking, I don't react that way to fiction um, because it's uh, that's just not me. But there yeah. was something uh, in one of the later episodes, just as a warning, like, look, I would look, if you are sensitive to visual. Um, I think generally if you're sensitive to visual, this may not be the show for you yeah. because there is just a lot of like, like there is a lot of like sex humor, but sex humor as written by men. Right. Which I assume will, I'm, thinking that it shifts. Um, and again, it's not like it's like sex humor is written by women, men that are deliberately trying to denigrate women. It's written by men who I think are trying to get it right. Yeah, and who are allies. But you, it is also clear there are no women in that writing room, as right. of right now. But for season, I think, four, there will be. So I am curious to see the criticism, how, the, how, how stuff shifts once um, the lady writers are in place. But anyway, so yeah, I think um, I definitely see why people like it. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Um, okay. So we are going to really quick talk about two things um, that first two things that are important. We are not getting paid for either of these. This is going to go really quick. Um, we may go a little more in depth um, onto the first one in a later episode, but we are so far in we're over an hour and a half into this one now. So, okay. So GLA, which is the Grandeur Leadership Academy, it is a, um, put on once a year by, um, an, a really good organization called the Harry Potter Alliance, which is basically an organization that's all about turning fandom into activism. And we've, we're, we've partnered with GLA because they do things we believe in and we do things they believe in. Um, just to kind of get the word out about the organization and to encourage, um, both, kids not kids but like um teenagers young adults um basically to tell them about GLA encourage especially people of color to attend this this event which is being held in Tucson this year in March I believe um and it's it's named after Hermione Granger and it is just all about how to turn your fandom into activism how to be a new how to be a leader in a community um it's organization that's very focused on social justice. I was a keynote speaker at GLA two years ago. So I have a very personal connection with this um, event. And I just think it's, it's one of the most valuable things. And um, as a, you know, a woman in her thirties, I still think that this is one of the most valuable things I've ever done because it is just a group. It's an empower. It, it's just inspiring to be among a group of people who want to learn to do better. Um, and, we will put more information about GLA in the show notes. That was very, very quick. And we'll talk about it, I think, more in a future episode. Mm -hmm. um, but just for right now, I want to mention that this is something that um, the registration fee is pretty low because they've it's covered by grants, but you do have to pay for travel and hotel. But it's basically a week 
two, two or three day long program that's just basically learning how to do better and be better. And if you're, um, you know, in high school or college, kind of preparing you to enter the wor- how to, you know, function as an adult, which is not an easy thing to do you nope. know, for adults. <laughs> so um, anyway, so that is my quick spiel, spiel on GLA. Um, and I, like I said, we'll link to it in the show notes and we'll talk about it more on a future episode. Uh, and then the second thing we want to talk about is uh, August 15th is Indian Independence Day. It's when we won, uh, the country won independence from the British in 1947. And on August 15th in New York City um, at Caroline's, there is a group of uh, Desi comedians who are doing a show um, called American Born Desi Comics. Um, you can find them on Facebook at the American Born Daisy Comics page, and you can get discounted tickets through August thirteenth. Oh, that's tomorrow. That's so tomorrow. Through, so through August thirteenth. Yeah, yeah. So um, by using the promo code A B C or no, I did that wrong. A B as in boy, D as in dog, C as in comedy. So it's like American Born Daisy Comics. A B yeah. D C. At checkout on the Carolines on Broadway website. Definitely check them out. We want more Daisy Comics because they are very, very funny people. Yes. And so definitely um, go. If you're in New York, go see them because they're definitely. And you can find them on Facebook. At, their Facebook page is called American Born Daisy Comics. So look them up. Um, and I think that's our show. So thank you to our Patreon subscribers. I am, I Ben am very smelly at $10 and Annie, Megan, Claire, Jordan, and Brian at the $5 level. We've got a couple of $10 slots that are, that have opened up. So if you are interested in, you know, doing what, um, happened with, uh, Rick and Morty today, you can sign up at the $10 level and then tell us what to watch. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Girls, And please also rate us on iTunes. It helps people find the show. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Girls, or I am at Run With Skizzers. And I am at S. Krishna. And thanks for, if you're still listening, thank you for listening. This might be your longest episode yet. I know. <laughs> thank you. We appreciate it. And we'll see you in uh, a couple of weeks for, for not even. One. Yeah. It's like in, a, in like a week for Rogue One and A New Hope. Our guest will be Keith Chow of uh, Nerds of Color. See you then. Bye. Bye.